0: That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we have a really good gear-focused BS session today with a run-and-gun whitetail hunter out of New Jersey his name is Greg Litzinger and uh, he's he I would say he's known for uh, like heavy scouting run and gun whitetail hunting in some pretty high pressure crazy type uh, terrain on the east coast and as we all know the closer you get to the Atlantic Ocean the more hunters there are meaning pressured deer so it's really important to uh, you know, do your scouting and come up with a game plan on how you're going to attack these animals. And uh, Greg does it every single year. And he, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that I, I look at respect. And I wanted to get him on the Hunting Gear podcast here and talk about the gear that he uses. And not just the gear that he uses now, but the evolution from when he started hunting, what his gear was like, what his budget was like to today um just for an example you know he talks about uh, how he used to hunt from the ground and then he got a tree stand and then he got a lock on lone wolf system and now he runs a saddle and and uh, just the evolution in products uh, everything from boots and clothing uh and you know uh arrows and broadheads and bows to uh you know what he's shooting today so it's a, it's a really good BS conversation we have some fun in this episode and it's always it's always cool Uh, on two parts here it's always cool to look back at the gear that we used to use and laugh at it a little bit and at the same time see how others hunt and the gear that they feel confident in and and like uh, both myself and Greg say in this episode it is about confidence if you're confident in your equipment and you're not thinking about it at the moment of truth then uh, it's a truly a good piece of equipment for you so uh, really good episode, on, uh, I must say, on this. But before we get into the episode, we're going to do a little commercial slot here. Uh, first uh, commercial goes to the Average Conservationist. Now, the Average Conservationist not only is a podcast here on the Sportsman's Nation, but it is a apparel company that donates 10% of its earnings to a conservation effort uh, in some way, shape, or form. I think they, in the past they've... Donated to the National Deer Association and some other local um, uh, conservation orgs up uh, in Michigan where Marcus, the owner, lives. And, uh, not a, you know, you say conservation and sometimes you think not cool, but it's really cool. Their apparel line is badass, man. They have some really cool logo tees, some really good hats, uh, hoodies. I'm a huge fan of their camo hoodie. Um, They have an average conservationist hat. There's a big patch on the front that says the average conservationist. Huge fan of that hat. That's my number one that's my uh go out to dinner with the wife hat i'll say that and um, what i will say is you need to go to the average conservationist the check out their lineup like like i said man really high quality clothes it's and the cool thing about their t-shirts it's the dad bod make you look good t-shirt so it's tight you know it's not i'm not going to say tight but it, it's fitting in the chest and arms and it's loose around the gut so it makes you look good <laughs> and they're soft so uh, I like uh, I like that fact as well and uh, while you're there why don't you use a discount code and if I can find it here it is NFC10 NFC10 and that's going to get you 10% off of your purchase so uh, not only does it look good but know that when you buy a hat or a hoodie or a shirt Uh, From the average conservationist, you're also, you know, ten percent of that is going back to conservation. So in a way, you're kind of donating to conservation yourself. So theaverageconservationist.com, and you know, it's funny that we're talking about this next brand, Lone Wolf uh, portable tree stands, because we talk, me and Greg both talk about how though that product specifically in this episode was was really groundbreaking for us. It allowed us to change how we hunted right it allowed us to be mobile hunters and uh you know he talks about the assault and four sticks my favorite tree stand in the world is the assault and four sticks and uh, that gets me anywhere i want to go crooked trees trees with a lot of branches um short you can get as high as you want or as low as you want and uh and really you can customize it to the tree that you need to be in not not a close enough tree but the right tree and sometimes five yards can make a difference in the in the woods right so um go you know go go to the internet and type in lone wolf portable tree stands man and uh take a look at the assault take a look at the alpha that's a little bit bigger platform i use the alphas um what do I do? What do I use the alphas for? I use those more of a permanent set. So at the beginning of the season, I'll set the bigger platform alphas up in uh, historically good rut spots like uh, a, a staging area between a bedding area and a, an a egg field, uh, uh, a staging area. Uh, I, I use them on some big uh, travel corridors, some big pinch points, stuff that, you know, if I, if I can't get a buck pinned down or located, I go to my rut spots and kind of start from scratch. So those rut spots are alphas, and the assault and four sticks are my running gun setup. So, uh, yeah, Lone Wolf, man. Go check them out. And I got a discount code here for you th- as well. So at checkout, enter the discount code n- nine. FC219FC21 F-C-2-1. and that's going to save you $50 off all purchases over 200 bucks. That's a really good that is a really good deal and uh that's shipped directly to your door uh and it's a badass American made company so uh, Lone Wolf uh, uh, portable tree stands. And that's it. Let's get into today's We'll call it a Gear BS session with Greg Litzinger. All right, on the phone with me today, all the way from the East Coast, Greg Litzinger. Greg, what's up, man? What's happening? Oh, you know, just another dreary day in Iowa. I, uh, I I feel like we haven't had a lot of sun this spring, and it's been cold as shit here in Iowa, and I don't like it. I'm ready to get out and start putting trail cameras up and all that stuff.
1: It's been... it's cold today yesterday it was really cold it's sunny out windy but it's it's definitely cold here in jersey too like i left the house in shorts this morning that was a terrible idea um <laughs> you know it's like that 2 a.m wake-up call like oh, i'm not paying attention step outside like oh that's cold get some of that that'll wake you up real fast
0: yeah absolutely um let's kind of let's kind of uh backpedal a second and i want to ask you how was your uh, 2020 season
1: Pretty good. Um, shot three deer, two bucks, and a doe. Um, I lost a really big deer, which was, I mean, bound to happen sooner or later. I think I made it, I don't know, ten years before losing a deer. So, yeah. I guess I was due, I guess, if you will. But fantastic season as far as you know, killing and seeing, yeah. and having a good time, making it fun again. I guess I hate saying that word. Killing's not fun, but it was more
0: enjoyable this year yeah. than it has been for me recently. And and why do you think that is?
1: Uh, I didn't have a lot of expectations. You know, I kind of went more, you know, as my buddy Clinton says, like freestyle, freelance hunting. Yeah. I had like certain areas, but I was pretty much just hunting to hunt, hunting, you know, fresh sign, just enjoying uh, the moment, I guess, if you will.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. uh, Do you run a lot of trail cameras?
1: I do. Um, I've been getting into it more just because of family, you know. uh, But, yeah, this year I had probably about 12 out, I guess, off and on, never consistent. You know, I usually – I'll leave them out for a long length of time. Last year was the first year I actually was checking them a little bit more. Yeah. Uh. And that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I added a new, uh, method of hunting, I guess, because some areas definitely were off this year. So I'm kind of glad I don't waste any time there. The cameras are like, yeah, this place is beat. Yeah. So that was nice. So I'm not, you know, wasting precious time, you know, hunting an area where there's not a mature deer yeah. that I like
0: to shoot. Well, I'll tell you this, man. I, I, I often think about what trail cameras have done for me and to me. Uh, over the years and it's like, okay, I got a picture of a buck. He's going to make the hit list. Now I have to go find a place to hunt him where, you know, I got this trail camera picture Mm -hmm. of him and, and I go in there and I know he's in the area somewhere in some way, shape or form, because I got a trail camera picture. But now I have these expectations of this is the only mm-hmm. buck I'm going to shoot. So either I let some some not great bucks, but some decent bucks walk in, in hopes that this guy comes in. Or I, I'm sitting in the tree and I'm sitting there going, well, if he comes, he comes. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. And back in the day, like what you were saying, this freestyle type hunting where I didn't have any knowledge. I just was going off fresh sign. Mm-hmm. I was getting into a tree in a, in a pinch point or some terrain feature. And I was yeah. like, oh, man. Uh, anything could happen right now. Anything could happen and, and anything could happen, you know, at any time, really anyways, but there's a level of information that trail cameras have given me over the years that have taken away some of the, uh, quote unquote surprises of deer that are in the area. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, um, I'm in the same boat. I have some areas that I refuse to put cameras in because, um, I've been hunting them so long and like, I know what's out there. I know what that area is capable of having, like the of the salt marshes. Plus it's just pain have to set them, you know, I got to take the canoe in with the tide or whatever, but I don't want to know what's coming in. Yeah, I, I want to keep some areas that are just free open. So like yeah. you said, you don't know, you, you can expect the unexpected, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some areas I'll, I'll camera bomb, but there's are some areas I just can't bring myself to do it because I, I don't want to know what's out there
0: yeah yeah and that's and and that's how i am now i am doing this cast a wide net type i i I heard this uh, method uh, or this uh, approach described by bill winky as casting a large net and then when you get a a big big buck or a mature buck or a hitless buck on camera you bring your your uh, trail cameras into that area more trail cameras into the area to really hopefully refine a deer's movement and like I do that, but then I'm, I, I almost feel disappointed when he doesn't show up or I can't figure him yeah. out and, and, and that, that deer could be anywhere, right? We we don't have mm-hmm. a, a camera on every tree. So, um, I don't know. I, I like trail cameras, but at the same time, they take away, they take away something and I'm not quite sure yes. what that is yet.
1: It's a surprise. Yeah. You know, we, when you go fishing, you know, you don't know what you're going to catch. You're just something big. So at the end of the line, i uh, you know, I, I do a lot of fishing and, you know, from the bank and night fishing and whatnot, and you know, like saltwater fishing. So there's always that surprise factor. Like you hook into something big, but what is it? Don't know. You got to reel it in, and figure out. So having some areas that, you know, I don't run cameras. I, it keeps me not knowing, I guess. Yes. Yeah. It's probably the best way to put it. And keeps it fresh and exciting for me.
0: Yeah. I feel you. Um, let's talk about gear today, uh, and right. we've already talked a little bit about trail cameras. Now, so let's go. Let's uh, jump into the gear, and I kind of want to start way back. Right? H- how old were you? <laughs> h- how old were you when you first started bow hunting by yourself?
1: Ray right from Jump Street, I was fourteen when I started. But my dad back then, like there was no buddy stands or two man ladder stands. My dad be like, all right, sit here. I'll be back in four hours. do move. <laughs> Same here, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, so it's like, you never know. Like, I don't know, like, first time I ever pulled back on a deer, I didn't have my dad tell me when to pull back, when to yeah. do this, when to do that. Like, uh, so I learned, yeah, hunting with my dad, but I was pretty much on my own. And my dad would drop me off, and my mom would drop me off a, a few times. You know, my, my parents were pretty cool with that. And by the time I was 15 – yeah, yeah, the following year, I was hunting on my own, me and my buddy, more than my dad. Yeah. Uh, we'd still hunt with my dad, but you want to hunt with your buddy, That's way cooler, you know? Yeah. Because maybe I just wanted to do things on my own, or I just wanted to hunt in my own particular way. Like, my dad was, he's great at sitting and waiting, but when you're a kid, you can't sit and wait. Like, I want to yeah. move around. Yeah. So, me and my dad, we butt heads a lot, because he's like, sit still. Or, like, I, I was watching you, you can't stop moving. I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> I'm 15 or 14, like, I can't sit still. It's not in the car.
0: <laughs> I just drank a Mountain Dew. Of course I'm not sitting still. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so do you remember some of the first gear that you ever had, like your first bow or, or your first camo outfit or, or anything like that? Uh,
1: Hand-me-down army fatigues and a flannel jacket. Um, definitely nothing insulated. It was just layers upon layers. You know, 200-gram insulated leather boots or old Kmart rubber boots with steel shank, like no traction, the little lace at the top, you know. Uh, yep. I I had, you know, back then, all the risers were wood. Like my, my first bow, I had a wooden riser, big old 2 by 4 grip on it, you know, aluminum arrows, yep. uh, flipper rests you know, <laughs> taking your pins, a little brass pin, dip them in the white paint, like you like it's going to make a difference, right? but you did it anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and every, every pin was independent. And I, yeah. I remember, I remember back then, um, I had a, I think it was a three pin site and I didn't know anything about archery when I was like 13 years old, other than, uh, all right, you stand here and then you try to adjust the, you know, I had some old timer, teach me how to adjust the pins and i had one pin way up here and then my other pin was way left and my other pin was way right and i'm just like god this doesn't make sense but for me it's working i guess
1: (laughs) yeah and you know shooting 20 yards as far yeah back then like i mean first of all the bows were slow and i mean i was shooting 35 pounds maybe 40 pounds when i was that age so it's like 20 yards is like it's always noisy, both like, <laughs> and it's like this giant arc, and you're like, I'm sitting 20 yards, it's actually an arc on your arrow, it's so slow, It, was, it could simpler, simpler time, shooting finger, like finger tabs, no releases, you know, pull yeah. back a bow, is a 50% let off with just fingers.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Yep. Good times. Yep. I uh I can remember the first time I forgot my release back uh in the in the truck and I tried to do the fingers and it hurt so yeah. bad. It hurt my fingers so yeah. bad and I thought I was tough and then I, I realized I wasn't tough anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the old uh when releases first came out, they had the little metal D loop. You know, they were they were oh, out. Yeah. I, I yeah. Can, yeah, they were you know, they were cool, you know, and rubber, rubber peat tubes breaking, yep. snapping you in the eye. Yeah. Good times.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good times. I heard a conversation a while back where they were talking about, um, if you took some of the first compound bows, uh, and had, uh, they said that there, there was clickers on them. So, you know, when you mm-hmm. had to get the cable changed or it, cause mm-hmm. if it went too many times, it might break and you might get stitches in your face. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, the teardrop cables. You know, it's like, oh, I got to change the drawing. Just put a longer teardrop or a longer string on it. Just mess the whole timing up on the bow. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yep, absolutely. Um,
1: so, so archaic. Yeah, people don't know how good they have it today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and I, I mentioned this in another podcast. Even if you go two or three years these days. Mm-hmm. And you shoot you shoot your bow, and you're like, oh man, I love my bow, I love my bow. And then you grab the new flagship model from whatever brand, and you shoot it compared to whatever bow you had four years ago. You're just like, holy yeah. smokes, man! It's, yeah. it's still even in that hey, short of time, it's day and night difference. Yeah,
1: I've, I never I used to compete archery, and my coach at the time had you know, the the flagship Hoyt, and I used to be like, it's just a bow. I didn't like I just I competed with a hunting bow, so. I actually shot his bow one day and I was like, wow, there really is a difference. Like the engineering that goes in, you know, behind it, and I'm like, this is nice. So I was like, how much does this cost? And I was like, that's too much for me. <laughs> I was like, I'll just keep my bow.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, as, you know, Army fatigues, hand-me-down bow, all that stuff, do you, uh, aluminum arrows, do you remember your first broadhead? Thunderheads. Thunderheads, yep popular yeah, thunderhead
1: 125 and actually it's funny i'm looking at a bow i bought when i was 16 17 yeah 17 oh high country i still got aluminum arrows i got uh thunderhead they're, they're 125 i got feathers with a heel pole and i shot like a flip arrest with shooting with a release like a very simple basic bow 70 pounds and i mean the you look at the heavy arrow craze now like in high school, I shot 70 pounds, 25-14s with Thunderhead 160s. And it was probably like a seven, 700, six hundred fifty <laughs> grain arrow, you right. know? Right. And it was like people now are like, oh, heavy arrows are a thing. I'm like – been there, done that, man. Long time ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and there was actually arch in archery, you know, uh, yeah. like what you said earlier there, you would see the arrow curve down and it wasn't going very fast, yeah. but it was arching to where <laughs> wherever it goes. And now it's just rockets everywhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's cause I've, they said I, I grew up in that archery was nothing. And then it was just on the beginning of becoming something Yeah, and I remember the first, you know, know, carbon arrows, the old beam with the outserts. And I remember shooting a deer with a carbon arrow. I was proud to be 19 when I shot carbon the first time. And I could shoot out the 30 yards with one pin. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. One pin out the 30 yards, hold it high for 30, you know, at 15, hold it low. One pin was great. I remember zipping through this buck, uh, biggest buck at the time. He just jumped up. I'm just watching the blood pour out. He didn't even know what happened. Like, it was, like, so fast, and the broadhead was so sharp. He didn't even know he was hit. He yeah. was, just, like, looking around, and, like, he took a couple of steps and fell over. And I'm like, this is so cool. Because <laughs> before, you know, the aluminum arrows, it was just, like, straight weight. Like, the deer knew it was getting hit. Yeah. You know, they get like, hit by the Mack truck. And then I could zip right through him and he didn't even know. It was pretty, uh, pretty cool.
0: And I bet you felt like a badass at that point.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was talking from the ground, Yeah, you know, I shot him and I am like, Psh, I'm king of the world, you know, yeah. drive around town, tailgate down. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: Check this out, guys. Yeah. Um, what was, uh, do you have a, a memory of maybe a, a bow or a piece of gear when you were younger? That you're like, man, I really need this. I don't have money for it right now, but I'm going to save. And then you went out and bought it.
1: It was, um, had to be like halfway through my first season. I was so small when I was 14. Like I was like, I was like 10 and my dad had Baker tree stands, you know, bear hug, you climb up the tree and death traps. Basically I was so weak and small. Like I couldn't climb up the tree. So I bought a, six-pound hang-on, those bolt-together hang-on from Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's. And I bought a few screwing steps, and then I had a couple rope steps. I think my dad made them out of, like, two-by-fours or something ropes or whatever and made, like, a little Chinese finger thing, like, tie on them. And I thought that was so cool because I could actually hunt in a tree. I'd have to sit there, you know, screw in the steps, you know, which sucked, and then, like, do these little block steps and come with other rope steps. But to be able to actually hunt from a tree with a little six-pound hang-on, I thought was pretty gnarly.
0: Yeah. Um, so the first the first purchase was a tree stand.
1: Yeah, that I remember purchasing for myself, yes. Yeah, yeah. My dad got my first bow, and that was mid-season. I was like, because I was always hunting on the ground. And it's like, you know, I can't sit still, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I need yeah. to get up in the air. And so I, I bought that, and then that was, you know, Pretty cool to be able to sit above and have deer come underneath you and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, what did that do to you? Did it did it lead to any type of success or a new way of thinking? I, you know, we know you now as this very mobile hunter. Um, was that the start yeah. of it, or yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, like my my father, like we never hunted the same because I've always hunted public. We never, I never had access to private. Um, you know, never really until I was way older. So we always hunted a little bit of public and we'd always hunt a different spot. So we were, I was mobile before I knew what mobile was, I guess, because every time we went out it was a new spot, either by canoe or, you know, or get dropped off and had the mom pick us up. But having that tree stand allowed me to get to areas, you know, or sea and, and stuff like that. So I guess that would be, you know, I guess the start of it. yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, so this tree stand kind of led you to being a little bit more mobile. Was was that a, a climber at all?
1: No, it was a hang on.
0: A hang on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, yeah, what like, were you using you for the actual to gain elevation? Was there sticks? Like and,
1: the yeah, screwing steps. Okay. You know, which were, were illegal illegal at the time, but I don't know. I was a kid, so yeah. I just use. Every time I went out, I had to do screwing steps, which is awful. Yeah. You know, go you know, 15 feet, you got you know, eight, nine steps. It takes me a half hour to set a tree stand, basically.
0: Yeah. I don't, <laughs> like,
1: I couldn't hunt oaks. Like, yeah. I couldn't hunt oaks because I could, I'd could, i be screwing all day, like, getting nowhere. Like, I, I've literally set up before, like, six feet off the ground because I got tired of screwing steps.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this, man. Uh, back in the day, uh, I was on a farm where I had this giant tree, and it was too big uh, to put the – the lone wolf straps around, right? It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big tree and it didn't start getting thinner till up in the, up at the top. So I had to go buy some, uh, I had to go buy some screw and steps, those green ones yep. from like Walmart yep. or wherever. And they're not sharp back then. They weren't sharp. Yep. And so you're sitting there having to put all your weight into it and try to get it just to get it started, but all it's doing is borne out this hole, and you can't even get yeah. you can't even get past the the bark, and uh, finally, yeah. like you said, it took me 45 minutes to get three or four steps in, and I, and I was just like, fuck yeah. it, I'm gonna try to uh, climb this tree and and with my hang on on my back, stand on a limb and just put yeah. put it up somewhere. So
1: yeah, yeah, it's uh, and I think I think the following. When I was 16, my dad bought me, you know, a loggy bayou climber, and that was, you know, super light. You know, I could climb barrel, you know, old bear hugging trees back in the days. You know, I had abs of steel at 16. I had abs for. Everybody knew what abs was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or was that because you said you were small too?
1: Yeah, both. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now as you as you started getting older, um, and uh, like how how old were you when you started this uh, to see success from the gear that led you to be more mobile? How old were you?
1: I think at at, at fifteen, I killed my first deer. It was a buck, and I shot him in the area we scouted all summer, and that was with the hang on. Yeah, I put the screwing steps in and and. That was the first deer I ever killed was from that stand. And then when I got to Loggy Bayou, it was literally um, a lot easier. I could hunt a lot more. And I got bigger and stronger, but I can get up 20 feet. It allowed me, you know, 18 and 20 feet was, I don't say I hate using the word game changer, but you got out of deer sight. Yeah. So I started killing a lot more because I was just up out of sight. You yeah. know, I wasn't 12 feet anymore. I was 20. And it's like, wow. And then probably when I got about 18, I had 30 foot of haul line and I would, a few trees, like, cause you'd set the log, you buy you up. I'd set up like six feet off the ground. The stand be like pointing straight up. Cause I know I'm going 30 feet. I'll just go 30 feet, you know, like so sketchy, not using safety belt climbing, like just everything you should not be doing. Yeah. I did. Cause we, we just didn't know, you know, it wasn't what we have now. Yeah, And I mean, it was, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a massacre, but, I mean, there were some seasons. i kill it. was all about numbers. It wasn't about bucks. I mean, kill five, six deer a year with a bow. Just because you're 30 feet up, you're not getting winded, you're not getting seen, you know?
0: Right. <laughs> it
1: was like a contest. Who can hunt the highest? Right. It's so sketchy. <laughs> and,
0: at, at that, at, and at that height, man, there, I don't think scent really plays a, a big issue no. at, at all. <laughs> no,
1: definitely not. I mean, when I was hunting that high— I've hardly ever got one. I would actually get seen because you skyline yourself so high. they be like, what the fuck is up there? Because you're like out of the tree line, you know? So it's like, wait a minute, hunting too high, can you you get seen instead of smelled, you know? Right.
0: All right. So as you start to, you know, it sounds like this, this tree stand, uh, allowed you to, uh, get, have more success just from getting higher off the ground and and, and stuff like that. Yeah. How old were you then when you started, I guess, when would you say you were the, the Greg that we all know now? Like, how old were you when you started doing this heavy scouting, when you were do, real mobile, and roughly how old were you then?
1: Let's see. I, it took me, I was 33, so I hunted 19 years before I killed a, a quote-unquote big deer. So I struggled for 19 years to kill, you know, I killed deer, but they weren't like big deer, what you know, people say, big deer. Yeah. So, so figure 30, about 30 is when I really started taking things serious. Okay. Like, uh, cause I, cause I hunt and all my friends are killing these deer and like, cause I snowboard, I did all these. like I had a lot of other things. I fished, I snowboarded, a turkey hunted, you know, all these things. So about 30, I started taking some things seriously and it's like. I want to kill a big deer. Yeah. Like I'm tired of killing a year and a half, two and a half year olds. Like I want to kill a three and a half, yeah. know, a four and a half. And that's when just reading the, the, the internet, the forums, archery talk back in the day, you know, was phenomenal. I learned a lot, you know, Eberhardt's books, Greg Miller's books, the old Miles Keller, you know, the old moon guide, yep. stuff like that. Moonstruck, I think it was. Yep. And I would just immerse myself in that and just spend every chance I get in the woods, Yeah. you know, and, that's, that's when, you know, I guess the, the bow hunting theme was born probably.
0: Yeah. So so around, around that time, when you, when you said to yourself, Hey man, I want to, I want to go after mature bucks. It's going to take, you knew it was going to take a different uh, mentality and a different approach to it. As you, uh, made that change, did you make any investments in your gear to upgrade or drop some coin on you know a new bow or a new tree stand or a new camo the, or anything like that?
1: Lone Wolf Climber was the first. So they said the Loggy Bio was noisy, and I remember I was probably twenty-five, twenty-four maybe when I used. Probably twenty-one. I used a. Original low-wolf climber with this guy in a club, and I'm like, this thing is silent. Two piece, you're not bear hugging a tree. Yeah, and I, you know, back then I didn't have a lot of money. It, it took me like two years to save up to get the climber, and then that was like the, all right, this is quiet. I like this. I can literally climb up and see deer, and they don't move. And then I wanted to transition into hunting. Um, they said closer to bedding areas. And the climbers still kind of noisy. And that's when I bought the lone wolf hang on and sticks. I was 24, I think, when I got yeah. them, 25, the, the hang on. And that was the biggest uh, boost for me as far as being able to learn how to set up or get in trees. I never could hunt it before because I always had climbers. Yeah. So, you know, 25, 26, the, the hang on came into play. Yeah. And then all that kind of like wrapped up into one where I'm like, all right, you know, and I spent a, a A good time learning how to use it properly
0: (laughs) yeah i have i have no facts uh or any type of statistics to back this comment up so take it with a grain of salt but i would say i mean all every big buck killer that i knew back in the day when i was younger early 20s late teens was using a lone wolf hang on and sticks and these guys yeah. were slaying giants every single year. So yeah. I said to myself, Hey man, I got to try to have, get one of these someday. And yeah. so w- when I say that, I, I, I bet you that lone that, that original lone wolf is probably the, that sticks and the hang ons are probably led to the demise of some of the biggest deer. Like yeah. n- nobody's ever heard of.
1: Absolutely. That I, I, I completely agree with that because I said a bow, I mean,
0: isn't going to make you a killer necessarily,
1: right. but being able to set up quietly. And because I mean, my my loggy bayou, I mean, to this day, there's three deer from hunting at loggy bayou that the staying creek that they were 10 yards and you go to shift and staying creeks and the buck runs. Yep. Three bucks to this day that I wouldn't say haunt me, but I still think about those deer. And it's like, fuck it. And if I would you know, have had even just the climber, a little climber those three deer I would have killed my first big deer at 19 years old yeah 20 years old like a like a mega giant you know the, the, I, I don't even have a deer in the wall that's that big now there's giant 10 pointer and I had him in range you know three or four times and the stand you know stand got me yeah you know the loggy body just got me and it's like it sucks yeah you know and then have it happen like two a few more times and the lone wolf I've never had an issue Yeah. Uh, with a cast uh platform
0: yeah and that's uh i'll tell you i'll tell you right now man uh that that product right there taught me a lot about big bucks it, yeah. it uh it allowed me to get closer to just see deer behavior um and and once a guy can and, and this is in my opinion but once a once a guy can start learning deer behavior it opens up a whole nother window of thought process yep. uh, how he can get on you know it's like oh my god he's calm when i'm right here or he's aggressive yeah. in this scenario or look how he this buck acts in a group of does versus a bachelor group or whatever and yeah. it's just like hey i can get away with this or i can uh yeah. you know take this access route or whatever and i don't know man that product right there is the reason i yeah. is the reason i'm a mobile hunter
1: yeah um, i you know a AI- i've you know, my, my buddy Clint, he came up with this one. Him and I did. He called it, like, mobile stealth. Like, today's technology allows people to be stealthy but also mobile. Yeah. You know, and, you know, because I used to carry four sticks, even sometimes five sticks and hang on. Dude, that shit's heavy, man. Yeah. Like, that shit will wear you out. I mean, and I hunt all public. I have so many has. You know, I'm a mile into the marsh, come across this marsh, all this weight, and, like, my transition from – what I used then, to what I use now is, is great because, you know, I'm a, a saddle guy in a small platform. Yeah. And I've adapted to that pretty well. And it's that's allowed me to get in some areas that hang on and sticks. It's just, it's a pain in yeah. ass to get to. Yeah. Uh, it kind of streamlined the process for me, if you will.
0: Yeah. So, you know, what led you to... Take that next step into the saddle. Then from from uh, a lone wolf and and uh, sticks into uh, a saddle.
1: I was I had old school um, lone wolf assassin harness and platform I used for years, um, and that was great for a little hour to sit. You know that was in uh, the marsh. You're only three feet off the ground. I don't need a big you know, or a hunt some thickets. You know, or field overgrown field. You're a little you know three feet off the ground. So the assassin platform was what got me into that method, I guess, of facing the tree and, and using a harness. And then the trophy line diaper thing came out. I bought one of them used. And I hated it. It was uncomfortable. It was bulky. I'm like, it's not saving any weight. And then I was sent a saddle. Uh, and that was like, wow, this new stuff is pretty legit. You know, and it was a, a learning curve. I had a big learning curve with it. I mean, the saddle cost me a, a few does, Yeah. You know, the first, the first season. I really wasn't a fan of it because, you know, you're used to hunting a certain way for so long. And it's like, oh, here's this, how to set it up and when to set it up, you know, when to move. And, but now I got to kind of figure it out, you know, it, what works for me.
0: Yeah. Saddle-wise. Yeah. So now, you know, like you see these evolutions in products or, or maybe not even an evolution, but like a, a, a method change of how you approach hunting. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you go from this noisy climber to a tree stand, you went from one noisy tree yeah. stand to a quiet tree stand. Um, you yeah. went, you went from, uh, a a really good tree stand to the saddle method. Um, yeah. do you think there's anything after a saddle that can be done because this, there was a saddle craze back in the day. I think it was in the the nineties at some point. Um, you know, and a lot of guys were like, Oh, no way that works. And and obviously now there's a bigger, uh, channel to distribute that information of how a saddle can be, you know, could help a guy. Um, do you, do you see from using a saddle that there is potential for something lighter, faster, quicker in, in, does the same job of yeah. what you're currently doing
1: i i mean because i have mean, I, I a lot of older guys and there a lot of the guys i hunt that you know they transition to recurve and they transition to ground hunting only uh I, they do it for the challenge and as far as like saddle i mean you can make it thinner and lighter you know there's going to be always lighter fabrics out but how how light can you really get it yeah. you know that's still comfortable you know um you can have ultra light anything, even like some of the, the micro tree stands. You know, like my buddy's got the, the custom 0.5, the little mini one. Yep. Like I got size 11 boots. Yeah. I wouldn't want to hunt out of that thing for any length of time. It's just like, well, this just doesn't fit me. You know, I don't have much movement on the actual platform, you know, and I'm a little guy, but it's like, by the time I put rubber boots on, I'm like, yeah, can't go smaller and you can't really get much lighter and, and be safe, I guess. Yeah. I guess you could, you know. Materials are always changing, but yeah. I mean that's where we're at now. The machining, um, we have the capability to machine better products now, water jet and stuff like that. So you can actually have a smaller, you know, less material water jetted out at a piece of a, you know, a piece of steel or aluminum. But as far as getting any lighter, I just I just don't know. Yeah, carbon fiber. I mean that's the next. Yeah evolution, I would, I would say, you know, I know they got the carbon fiber sticks that are out and some other carbon fiber products. So carbon fiber, some type of impact resistant resin, carbon fiber, maybe.
0: Yeah. Something that's going to be quiet. And, uh, you know, cause yeah, you know, I've got carbon fiber things in my house and, and tools that I use. Uh, yeah. but it, then you start talking about cost. Right. And at what point yeah. it's like, for example, um, You know, some of these tree stands are on the market. You can get like a a lone wolf right now is is 250 uh, roughly for for an assault or something. I don't know, 230 or 250 for, you know, the the lone wolves. But then like the beast, the beast stand is way more expensive than that. And mm-hmm. that's expensive. So there's got to be a point from a business standpoint where it's like, Jesus, man, a 700 or $800 tree stand. There's no way I would do it unless, right. Unless it's yeah. so functional that it's a no brainer to, to use the yeah. the style that well, a, a running gun guy well, would use it.
1: Hey, I, I look at it from um, like the diehards, you know, Diehards, like, I, I mean, I got my little wolf hanging damn near two decades. Yeah, I'll never get rid of it. Yep, it's still gonna sit here. I'll probably hardly ever use it or rarely use it, but it's an investment. I've had it for 20 years. It's the only you know, outside of my old bow I got looking at, you know, I could still use it 20 years from now. That stand could still work. Yeah, so it's an investment. You buy it one and done, but like I said, from a business standpoint, how are you gonna make money when you literally? the ultimate hang on you know, like yeah. like dan like his beast like that stands pretty legit yeah well you buy it once and you're done these guys that buy like stands like it's it's like a bell those you know, yeah. really haven't changed these last year you know, in the last five years you know they tweak it a little bit quieter but like a stand you know you you get it so light and so perfect how do you sustain making money on it which yeah. is something i always thought how how businesses could stay afloat you know at that cost but then again you're buying it and i guess people are buying them they're making them that means there's a market for them
0: yep absolutely so you know let's talk about clothing uh for for a second because i'd love to hear your take on this like whether it's staying warm or dry or cool depending on what kind of scenario you're hunting in what are you looking for for a, uh, a, a apparel or outfit walking into the timber the the style of hunting that you hunt and how do you break down your garments
1: I would you know I I'm a sweater I don't know why in the wintertime like because I, I could I walk pretty far so I have to i even in the wintertime I'm wearing ultralight stuff out and in the summertime it's not too bad or fall early fall but as the season progresses it gets harder and harder for me because I'm packing so much, you know, on like I'm, dip, you know, or compression strapping so many clothing onto my backpack. It's becoming a little bit bulky, a little bit cumbersome because I, I streamline down to a backpack and the saddle, but now I got all this extra gear on it. So for me, it's, I'm, I'm kind of torn right now uh, with gear because I, I like some of the, the clothing that's out, but I'm also cheap. Yeah. So I wish somebody would make like a, a functional, one-piece coverall, windproof, quiet, everything you want. That way I can just roll it up, <laughs> carry it underneath my arm or something, and and be ready, be ready to go. That's what. Sitka, first light coveralls, man, the warmest thing out there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I tell you this, man. It's almost like, um, have you ever hunted out of uh, what are those heater body suits?
1: I I my bar my buddies. IWAM, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. Um when I hunted out a tree stand, but in the saddle, those things don't aren't the best. Right. You you kinda lose a little bit of mobility because they 'cause they're kinda bulky. Yeah. So that's I would love that his eye he's got the predator fall gray IWAM. I mean, in the late season, December, I mean that thing looks great up in the tree. Yeah. It's <laughs> so A great camera pattern. And he's always warm and it's like, man, I really wish I could have one of those things. Yeah, Cause I hate being cold. Cold, be, being cold's the worst. It is. Yeah, you know, I'd rather be sweat to death than being cold. When you're freezing, it makes for a three hour sit seems like it's an eternity. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yep. I feel you, man. So you wish that there was a, um, uh, like, a full body coverall that you would put on at the base of the stand before you put on your yeah. saddle. Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. You know, old old school coverall. You know, because I use them for work. I, I mean, sometimes I got to work outside at work. Uh, just a, a lightly insulated Carhartt coverall keeps you warm. Yeah. You know, keeps warm. Like it's, it's like a giant sleeping bag, man. You just stay warm. Yeah. But if they can make it thin, quiet, and like for the bell hunter, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. I like someone like Sick that designed the coverall or First Light. People that got like all the smarts, all the brains, designers, <laughs> make it slim and trim. They could sell, man. Yeah. They could sell a, a ton because I've tried sick to gear stuff on. It, it's nice. But I can't spend that type of money for bibs and a jacket. Yeah. I just can't do it. Or like even like some of the first place stuff, like 250 dollars for a pair of pants, I can't do it. Yeah. Just can't do it. Because I tear my clothing up and my all my gear gets just destroyed. Yeah. I mean I might get three or four years out of it and I'm like, I had to buy nine hundred dollars worth of gear every couple of years, I'd probably go insane.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's like I've I've found this out in the last couple of years. There are other products out there that do the same exact thing and they're not, uh, I guess you would say, hunting specific, right? They don't have a camo pattern. Like this year, my entire season was done in solid colors. I did, I had a brown sweater from L.L. Bean. I had some, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, basically they were Dicky, Donnie Vincent style. Yeah and uh and and i i everything was exactly the same i shot my deer from the ground uh this year uh i i had a lot of encounters you know while i was in my tree stand and and all this stuff man i'm mm-hmm. telling you right now i i don't think that camo is as important I, even my mule deer hunts out west i don't think mm-hmm. camo is as important as people think it is no
1: i mean yeah. you look at i mean deer Deer aren't camo. They're just yeah. brown. Yeah. You know, ducks. I mean, they're they, they lightly heat to them. And, uh, I mean, look at natural deer camo. Yep. You know, like I hunt with some guys. I, I know some guys that hunt. And if they're not moving in the woods wearing that stuff, you can't see them. Yeah. They just disappear. They blend into nothing. Yeah. They're like, or your eyes just don't pick up on it. It's like, is that a person? You know, and they're only 34 yards away. It's like, you know, and then you see him like move his hand. You're like, oh, there he is. You know, because it, it looks out of place, but then you're like, "Wait a minute, there's nothing there." Yeah, and then they see a hand move, like, "Oh shit, there's somebody over there."
0: <laughs> yeah what's your uh, What's your go to boot for early season and then maybe cold weather?
1: Uh, Early season, I use uh, the gum leaf rubbers. Those things are crazy comfortable. And if I'm in the mountains, I use I actually change because I hate cold feet. So. When I hunt the mountains or even when it starts to get colder around here, if I'm hunt- wearing leather boots, I'll wear uninsulated leathers and the thinnest wool sock possible. And I use, I mean, I got these old, um, the booties there, the zip-up booties. Yeah, They're, Arctic Shield. From, yeah, yeah, mine are like 15 years old, maybe okay. even older than that. Like I got, you know, they, they got, what's that mall suit? is it was a breakup that black malcio camo that was just everybody bought but like it's that camo pattern okay and i use that and i throw like a hand warmer in there and boom my feet are good uh-huh. um but as far as i mean i i wear believe it or not i wear waders a lot when it's really cold if so i gotta wear rubber boots um i got some hip waders frog togs, and i just uh you know if I got across any type of water. I mean, I, I have no problem wearing hip waders. They're yeah. warm and my feet don't get cold. And that's how I, I approach my boot selection now. You know, at the distance and the time of year and like the, where I'm going to be hunting. Because yeah. having cold, like you say, cold feet, it's just, you might as well just leave. Because yeah. I can't, I just can't do it.
0: <laughs> so, are you encountering water a lot in, in your access routes?
1: Around here, yes.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: there's not too many spots, uh, that I, you know, it's just deer, no humans, the average human isn't going to cross water. Yeah. So I wear hip waders and I got a pair of waist waders. I haven't got neoprene chest waders. I got no problem wearing them. They're super warm and comfy, you know? Yeah. And you know, if I sweat, I'm not going to freeze to death. So it's like a trade off. I take them off and it's like dumping water out from sweat, but Hey, i was
0: warm yeah that's my problem is the reason i don't the only time i will wear rubber boots uh, is if i know that i have an access route that is going to cross water like a a creek or um, into mud or something like that but for the most part i'm pretty lucky you know i'm i i hunt some river bottom ground so unless it rains that's the only time it's wet but my feet for some reason get cold In the rubber boots no matter how many pairs of socks or what the sock combination is but i so now i do what you do i have the i I wear my my uh hiking boots i wear um uh, some wool socks and then i put a booty uh over top of it and uh yeah yeah and it 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 works so well that i i never i i shouldn't say never but i hardly ever wear rubber boots anymore
1: yeah, and and when I do wear rubbers, you because know, I do got to cross like knee highs. I think I have a pair of dry shods. They're they're he- kind of heavy and cheap, but I'll wear the, still my lightweight wool sock, which is kind of annoying because it, the it, the boots so sloppy on on my feet. If I want to get to a tree, I'll take them off and I'll put like a, a just another light pair of socks on. Yeah, because they don't breathe, and that seems to actually work better than a thick pair of socks
0: yeah. for me. Yeah. So, uh, lastly here, let's talk about your, uh, what, what bow are you shooting right now?
1: I got a carbon icon, bow carbon icon. You like it? I, um, I bought it last, I was having shoulder issues last year. I was going on elk hunt and I, I couldn't even pick up my bow just to lift up the shoe. So my wife came me to go ahead to buy a new bow. And I was literally looking for the lightest bow because I was leaving for Montana in like two months. And I was like, I need a bow, and I went and shot one of the micro bows. It was a gear head. was gearhead. Small. Yep. Yeah, I, I got a twenty nine inch drawing. I just didn't like it. I'm like, this is changing too much. Yeah. Maybe if I had more time behind the bow, it, it would have worked. But I, I'm I'm on crunch time. You know, I haven't really shot in like six months. I, I need a bow. And I shot a bear divergent, which is super short. Um, a little too short. Thirty inch. I, I didn't like that. And then. I went to a shop that had these uh, Carb, the bowtex. I was like, I picked it up. and I had old Diamond Carbon Riser, Carbon night whatever, riser back in the day. I was like, I forgot about these. I, I picked it up, and I was like, throw a quiver and, and uh, you know, a stabilizer on there just for the weight. They put it on there. I'm like, sold. Let's pay cash for it right there. And <laughs> Believe it or not, it's a phenomenal bow uh, for what I spent maybe a, a day and a half tuning it, and I'll shoot in seven yards with broadheads, yeah. like instantaneous, out of the box, basically. I'm like, wow, that never works out, so plus. <laughs> so and, uh, that's your bow Montana, right now. Yeah. yeah, and for Montana, I mean, it, you know, anybody that's been out west, you're walking a lot, walking a lot, and I'm glad I had the light bow, like, you know, for boat, for deer hunting around here, I threw a little more weight on it because it's too light without the quiver on, you know. But it's still nice, Bill, just to walk with a lightweight bow.
0: Yeah, I feel you, <laughs> it's man.
1: Great. And it's great. And it's, I don't use, like, I hate wearing gloves on the riser, and I'll just wear fingers gloves on my bow hand. You know, I have a little hand warm in my pocket, and I see a deer, and, you know, I'll grab the riser. In a few minutes, it's, it's not cold, you know, so that's a, another added bonus. Yeah.
0: All right, so what's your uh what's your arrow broadhead setup?
1: Uh day 6. Yep. 350 spines and I'm shooting Radical Archery designs. Um I shoot their titanium 3 blade and their mad mad 4 blade. I like 4 blades. Yeah, I do too. Uh, big cut 4 blade. There's just something about them, yeah. you know.
0: What's the uh what's the grains on your broadhead? 100s or 125s?
1: uh this setup they're 100s okay um just the way they specced out uh with the hour the hour i'm kind of four line like my hours are kind of cut short just to get work with this book because i had the hours and i got the bow i'm like i'm not buying more hours so the hours are kind of short um and a little a little soft so with the 125 so i put the 100s on there and it was you know money yeah i'm like sweet
0: (laughs) yeah dude i'll tell you this one of my favorite I don't know if it's brands or is is the Day 6 Arrows. Those things yeah. are freaking awesome. And I tanks. Sh- yeah, tanks and I shoot the uh, uh 275s. Uh mm-hmm. and so it's the it splits I think they just came out with them last year, but it's it's right in uh the middle of what the their yeah. offerings were last year. So I sat the mm-hmm. uh two seventy five and I think my total arrow weight was like five forty or something like that. Yeah. So
1: that's a that's a good arrow weight for you know and I'm I'm thinking I'm at like four forty to four fifty, somewhere around there. Yeah. I shoot four fletch. Um I do too. I think somewhere around there. And it's it says it's just a well but hour. like Brian, you know he I like his, you know, everything that he's doing over there. Yep. It's
0: nice. Absolutely. He's been on, and he's been on this and podcast have, before too.
1: Yeah. He's, you know, good dude. Uh, yep. I never met him personally, but just a little bit. I talked to him and, and
0: some social media interaction. Good dude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then let's see. So we've talked about, you're a four fletch guy. Yes. Yeah. Me too. I, uh, just, uh, I don't know why, but someone, I, someone told me one time, uh, Man, you know, four fletch does this. And I'm just like, okay, you know, uh, I'm going to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I was always, like I said, I shot five inch three flats with a massive helical because I've I've always liked the slick tricks. I shot them for years. Yeah. But they require a lot of drag, the four blade, the the magnum blades. Yep. Um, So I shot the five. I went to like a a five inch uh, with a helical three. Uh, three fletch with a massive helical, and then with the four fletch, I went with a, a smaller fletch. It's probably like the same amount of surface area as a three fletch, you know, uh, five inch fletch. It just makes it a little more compact sitting in the quiver than a giant massive, you know, and a little bit more stiffer. Yeah. So it's kind of it's nice. Yeah. You know, when I shot four fletch competing. I shot really stiff three D arrows, so I would I ran a four fletch just for extra drag. So like my my fletching was already set up for him. I'm like I'm going to I'm going to try this straight four fletch. And it was like right out of the box the four blade were just grouping better than the the three fletch helical like up oh, sold.
0: Yeah. simple. <laughs> See, I I like the I know what you're talking about on the four blade, but I shoot the uh the wasp uh boss four blade and that those yeah. those man, I, there's something about them that I just really like. Now they're not a huge they're more of, yeah. a, I guess you would call a micro head or something like that. Yeah. But they had, a, they have them in 100 and, and so my, like when, for when I go elk hunting, I want a fixed blade, mm. and so I'll yeah. probably shoot a fixed blade depending on if I draw or not this year. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll probably stick with a fixed blade, that Boss Four blade, and then after that, uh, if I don't draw that unit, I'll probably go back to uh, uh, my jackhammers, as a. Yeah,
1: I mean I. I, I took the four-blade one-inch because I changed out the blades on a madman. So I took a one-inch four-blade for elk hunting last year. And I was also shooting, I actually had a, a three-blade one-inch for super windy days, and I know a night-and-day difference. I mean, you got the biggest cut in the world, broadhead. If you can't actually hit what you're aiming at, it's pointless. It's useless. Yeah. So I was comfortable with shooting a one-inch three-blade I mean, I was shooting, I mean, not the, to my own horn, but I was shooting at 70 yards. I mean, five inch groups with broadheads. Wow. Before I went to Montana with those three blades, four blades was a little bit bigger because you're planting a little bit more, but I'm like, dude, these things are just insane. Yeah. It's like, I kind of, you know, and I hunt the salt marsh a lot and I got in the ground hunting in the salt marsh and I actually had two of those arrows in my quiver because it's always windy. And the wind drift with that three blade was minimal at best at distance. You know, at fifty yards, I'd have no problem pulling that one-inch three blade out and letting the rip. Yeah. Because I know I'm going to hit and i know I'm going to hit that pie plate. So it doesn't matter how many cuts you have. It's in the lungs that deer's going to
0: die. Yeah, that's a fact, man. That's a fact. Throughout the years, has there um, been a product that you that you have in your bag and that you've kept in your bag throughout the years or a product on your bow or whatever. That is just, Hey man, I, I feel very confident with this product and I'm going to continue to use it in, uh, f- until something better comes along.
1: You know, um, I've been shooting the same release for a few years now. It's a, cause I, I shoot uh, a, it's not a hand. It's called a, it's a, it's a Wayland sucker. It's, it's like a spike release. There's no moving parts. 'Cause I had releases break on me, tr- calipers fail and stuff like that. So this release has no moving parts. Like I have to manipulate it to get to go off, either back tension or kinda of curling my ring finger. And that thing's just a, you know, it's just a great tool. I got a little strap like a leather strap for it and I've tried other releases, I always come back to this release. Yeah. As much as I'm like, I'm gonna shoot a I'm gonna shoot a thumb trigger, this way I can like make it happen. I always come back to this hooker release. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's just one of the things like, it's so, you know, simple, stupid. And it just, it works for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's easy to pull back, you know, 65 pounds. It's an easy draw. And the leather strap takes the weight and I can let down. Like I'm, I'm never, you know, in a hurry. And it's a release. You can't really punch it. Like I've drawn back on deer and try to rush a shot and the release is like, Nope, you're not relaxed. You're not focused enough. So it's like, the shot won't go off, which saves me from making a bad shot. So, yeah. I'll I'll keep using it as long as you know it doesn't break or I lose it. You know, yeah. But it things beat up. I mean, it so got run over by a concrete <laughs> truck. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's the. I, I got a couple products like that. I think on on one episode I talk about a grunt tube that I, I had for s- several years and I lost it and I was pissed because nothing sounded like it. Um, yeah. R- rip cord there it is Ripcord Arrowrest yeah. for some reason man I just love that thing and I I I don't know man I there's a lot of really good uh, products out there but for some reason I've just been kind of loving Ripcord
1: yeah it's I mean and, and, I mean looking at my bow now I, I've had the same five pin sight when I worked at Cabela's I got it at the, like the bargain bin and that thing's been on every bow I think I've had I've, I mean I've won tournaments with it it's nothing fancy it's just a small pin the pins are bright the light always lights up and it's like I'll just keep using it yeah. I mean I've got a black old sight sitting on here I got a, a two spot haul sitting on my bench and I have a I think it's a true glow or a covert or whatever it's, you know what's just basically a true glow knockoff or a true glow cousin yeah. it's a Forty dollar sight at best, maybe maybe fifty. Yeah, and it's it just works. Awesome. You know, it's like keep, keep it simple.
0: That's a fact, man.
1: Confidence, confidence is key when you're equipment. Yeah. You know, if you're second guessing it,
0: it's it. it, it the, you know, I mean,
1: I tried single pin sliders, and I always go back to a fixed pin. Yeah. Well, and it's just yeah, especially for whitetail. I mean, I took it elk hunting seven yards. I'm like, I'm not going to shoot elk eighty yards. I mean, I probably could, but that's a that's a hike man shooting 80 yards in an animal i don't know if i want to do that yeah
0: i feel you man uh i'm uh, i'm the same way man confidence in the equipment and if it uh until it fails me or i find something that just blows my mind uh i i typically keep using it so uh yeah well i tell you what man uh thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and, and bs about gear yeah, with me fun. and uh good luck this upcoming season man yeah you too man